we're going to continue on with our series uh, in the uh, changed life in the family. And um, God willing, next Sunday, uh, which is Easter Sunday, we certainly will be having a message uh, centered on the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And as I say that, don't forget that this Friday, uh, half past nine here, we have a Good Friday service, so we'd love you to come. And um, Steve is going to be leading us in that. And so uh, please uh, come and spend time here on Friday morning at half past nine. The changed life in the family. I have got a text up here, and it's a very small text, but this is what we're going to be majoring on this morning. Okay? And you might think, oh, well, that's totally irrelevant to me. I'm not a parent or I'm not a father or I'm not a child anymore and so I can go to sleep. Well, maybe you can learn something this morning and um, maybe for future reference or maybe it's something that you can pass on and counsel to others if you fall into that category whereby you think it's not relevant. And um, the text simply says, actually I'll read from verse 18, which is not up here uh, because it's sort of, all in the same area of chapter 3 of Colossians and it says this, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Verse 20, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose hearts. And we'll stop there. The rest of the chapter has to do with life in the home of the ancient Roman home or Greek home where they had slaves and uh, we'll pick up on that uh, in a future time. Over the um, last four weeks, Velma and I have had lots and lots of up-close and personal contact with ten grandchildren and their parents. We could not help but be acquainted with the activity of family life. It was like a bit of a rush, you know. Whether it was a good rush or a bad rush, I've yet to decide. And um, the whole three of these homes were busy, busy, busy. Schedules to meet, some of them homework assignments had to be done, household chores, meals, loads and loads and loads of washing to be done and hung out, etc., etc. And adding to this activity, all this activity, was this unbelievably increased to what we are used to, noise level. You know, children trying to get their own way and then parents endeavouring to deal with that. And, um, and the normal constant throb of, of verbal interaction within the family unit. And you put that all together and it's, uh, you know, it's, Alex doesn't make as much noise as that at our place. <laughs> and, um, and as I was just thinking about this, I'm really glad in a kind of way that my day, our day of um, full-time, full-on raising children is over. <laughs> and um, it's, you know, it's a mammoth task for a parent, right, to raise children, whether it's one, two or five. A mammoth task. Uh, you know, there's just no let-up. Honestly, there's no let-up, except the odd lull when they, when, when they disappear for school if they're that age or, or when they're sent packed to bed some with great reluctance, I might add. But even in the peaceful breaks of the home, there is this ongoing preparation of, of 
for children, etc. And then they have to prepare for the, their homecoming, whether it's school or whatever. Or, or for when they wake up, you've got to prepare for that. And, and when that happens in the home, it could be like a tsunami that hits this once tranquil home. Oh, the joys of raising children, right? But those of us had that privilege, we wouldn't change it for anything, would we? Wouldn't change it for anything. But how true it is, how true it is, I'm just rambling here, but that parenting with all its busy and trying demands, and you mums and dads who've got kids under your feet will appreciate this, at one moment they can elevate us to the heights of emotional bliss, right? I was hearing Danny talk the other day. Man, she's in the crowds about her little Isabella. And then in a flash, it will come, it will come, in a flash, they can plunge us into a pit of despair. Our kids can be the means of great elation on one hand and then heart-wrenching agony on the other. It happens, folks. It does. And I believe any parent would probably exempt from some of these things. And this happens because you may say, well, why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why, why, why cannot we be living in, a, in elation and bliss all the time when, with our children? Some parents try to, but, you know, at the very best, parents and children are sinners, right? And even as believers, even as believers, we are still affected by Adam's sin and are imperfect. Get this, we are imperfect at guiding and directing our children and children are imperfect at obeying and following. They are. Why? It's because we're all affected by the fall. And as we think about this, we need to understand that it is in this setting, it is in this setting of our busy homes with all its ups and downs that the Lord uses as another arena of our lives for our ongoing sanctification, for our maturing our faith, for the maturing of our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus. He uses this setting for that. Of all the places on earth, it's our homes that our imperfections, believe it or not, are mostly magnified and clearly exposed. They really are. Clearly exposed for us to see, be aware of, repent of, and change from. I was talking to a daughter of mine recently, not here, and according to me she had done a very foolish thing. She was smiling away at it. But I said, it's only a fool who doesn't earn by mistakes, right? And we all make mistakes. But a home is a great place that we can learn from so that we can repent of and change from. All those characteristics, all those characteristics, you know those sinful tendencies that we read of earlier in this, this very chapter, those things that we are called to put off and those spiritual qualities that we are called to put on? These needs be practiced in the home. You see, because if those needs, those exposed needs, they're not worked out in the home, our lives will never bear fruit for Jesus Christ anywhere else. 
And that's a fact. That's true. So praise God for our homes, right? Praise God for our homes. They're God's, I like to call it, laboratory. They're God's laboratory, uniquely designed by the Lord for our learning, our training, our sanctification for both children and parents. It is in the home that we learn to serve and please the Lord. It is, it really is. It's in the home that we learn to display something of, of His grace. It's in the home we, we can show mercy, we can show compassion. It's in the home we, we, we can express love. We can exercise discipline, self-discipline and teach our children through discipline. It's in the home that we learn to be submissive and to respect authority and to learn obedience. All these things must be learned and practiced in the home. My wife used to say to our children, and James and Laurelie will no doubt remember this, if you do not learn, and I might say passed on to our grandchildren, I heard it recently, if you do not learn to obey your parents who can see who you can see, how on earth will you ever learn to obey, obey God whom you cannot see? How true it is that there's no place like the home to develop our sanctification and to grow in the Lord. John Stott, in his commentary, says that in this particular passage, Paul is dealing with the subject of the rule of Christ over all of life. Okay, So he, he sort of pulls us together. In other words, our homes and our marriages and our family, they need to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered and Christ-honoring. Why is that? Because Paul has just stated in this very chapter, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that means parenting and children toward their parents. Stop also continues to say in his commentary, so the underlying question is when we come to this section, how can a Christian child express his or her desire to serve the Lord Jesus and how can Christian parents express their desire to serve Christ even in the home, end quote. And that's what I'm going to launch out with and uh, look at a little bit. You see, because these two verses that we have succinctly tell us the answers and I might say, answers that literally thousands of books written on this subject have struggled to express. But before we begin to uh, hear, we must understand a couple of things. The first thing is that Paul is addressing the Christian community. Okay. Secondly, that means this is just not a a general order for society. It would be good and the society itself would benefit if they took heed to this instruction, but Paul in his letter to the Colossians was addressing the Christian family, the Christian mum and dad and those under the authority in that Christian home, right? That's the setting. It's all about the Christian family living under the authority and submission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and what we see here, the results will be the difference that will be seen in a Christian home versus what generally characterizes the unsaved family. You talk about obedience here, you go to Second Timothy and you will read there uh, something that characterizes the unsaved family and one of the little things is, is disobedient to parents. 
So first of all, Paul gives us a word to the children. We see this in verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. You know, this is the second relationship in the Christian home that Paul addresses. First he addresses husbands and wives in verses 18 and 19, and now he addresses children and parents. He wants you to reiterate that that being a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be reflected not only in our marriages, but also in a relationship between parents and children. See, Christianity is just not about coming to church on Sunday, is it? Christianity, true Christianity, being a real Christian covers every aspect of our lives. As we have noted, this statement that Paul gives here is focused toward believing children who are under authority of their parents. And so this can raise a question here. Children, children? Who are children? You know, when do our kids move out of that category? The word children here has a general meaning for anybody who is still under parental guidance. John MacArthur states, you stop being a child biblically in terms of this word in this text here when you go out to establish your own independence and your own life. As long as you're in the home, as long as your parents are responsible for you, as long as you're under their leadership and control, you have one command, end quote. Children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The call here is to obey Now when we think of that or hear that word obey, it can be loaded with negative meanings in our modern culture, right? It's a dirty word, so to speak. It's a word that people don't like to hear too much. And because some, for some it smacks of servitude and being bound by a set of rules that enslave a person or enslave them. But to obey in our text... It's not about being enslaved to a demanding set of rules. It's exactly the opposite, actually. To obey is more about a heart response, you know, a willing heart response, in which we freely and joyfully express our love and our gratitude for the guardianship that God has chosen for us. This is what this word obey here is about. Obedience and expression, it's an outlet, it's an action of genuine love. That's what this word connotes. Jesus says this to his disciples, by the way. He says this, If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. John 14 and 15, same idea. The Apostle John adds, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. In other words, if you love God, loving God will mean keeping his commandments. And he goes on to say, And his commandments are not burdensome, so they're not enslaving. We see that in 1 John 5, chapter 5, verse 3. So just as love and obedience belong together in our relationship with the Lord, they also belong to our relationship, children's relationship to, our parent, to their parents. We'll have a look at the focus of obedience. We see here firstly that children are called by God or called by God to be obedient to who? to your parents, okay? To your parents. So when children rebel against God, 
their God-ordained parental authority because that's, that's, what, that's who our parents are. They're actually rebelling against God himself. And that's not a good place to be, I might add. Parents need to, right from the start, right from day one, for you parents here, teach your children that it is impossible for them to please God without obeying you as parents. You need to drum that into them. You need to teach them that. They need to understand that just as God has has uniquely and sovereignly placed every star and every galaxy and every solar system, just as he's done that, he has placed you, you as a child in your unique family to be nurtured and trained and loved by your parents whom you are to obey. Some kids get the idea that the ideal life would be without parental guidance and control and, and without parents making demands on them, telling them to do what to do and what not to do. For some, this is a fanciful idea of freedom. But as I said before, it's on the contrary. It's the opposite of freedom. It is, it, it is the most enslaving and debilitating life possible. You know, why is that? Why is it? enslaving to be have no parental guidance and no parental demands placed upon us. Why is that? Simply this. It's something we may not think about. It's great to have a sense of security, isn't it? Even in the world we live. To be secure. To have a home to go to. To have people that can guide and direct us. Not to be alone. You know, one of the greatest things in our culture our society is loneliness people who are like loose cannons and wandering from pillar to post having no direction in life and so I come back to it one of the greatest things that you can have in life to be a citizen even I'm speaking outside of spiritual terms now is to have a sense of security or if you want to put another tag on it would come into this an identity you know a sense of identity That's really important for us to function as normal beings in society. You take a sense of security away from children by just letting them run loose and letting them have their own way and not training them up. You take that away and as adults, this is what will happen. You will see trauma, you'll see insecurity, you'll see depression and incredible fears will plague that person right throughout their lives. We see this all around. It's happening. People falling apart because they have lost a sense of security even within the family, within society. It simply is because parental authority has become dysfunctional or has been rejected by the child. The next focus of the children's obedience is to your parents in all things. You know, it's children, it's not about obeying the Lord in some or obeying your parents in some things and in not others. It's all encompassing. Now, remember again, Paul is only contemplating Christian parents here, Okay? He doesn't contemplate parents, by the way, asking their children to go against the commands of Scripture. He doesn't contemplate that. He doesn't even address that. He's, he, is, he is referring to those kinds of, of Christian parents who are 
who don't fall back on the exceptions but under the general rule of the Spirit of God reigning in their lives. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about parents who are moving on and growing in the Lord. And so it's also good to understand that the command to be obedient is a word that it means to hear, to hear under, okay? This carries the idea of obedience involving much more than, than, than robotic-like obedience or compliance to some external act of obedience, you know, do this and they jump. So it's, it's more than that. What this word means here is that we need to listen, the children need to listen, and uh, what is being said or asked, and then they are to consider what has been said or asked, and then act upon what has been said or asked. That's what this word obey here, it carries a whole lot more than just hop to it, boy. It's not just a matter of jumping to obedience only for the sake of keeping the house rules. And you might be thinking, what about those seeming ridiculous demands my parents have asked me or are asking me to comply with. And it happens, right? This happens. I can remember that. Thinking back, asking my kids things that really weren't the wisest. All I can say is this, a word of advice for any of you in this category or maybe in the future in this category. Next time that happens, try this approach. It'll probably make your parents gag and splutter and spit. But that's okay. We can do that. In a humble attitude, tell your mum and dad, whoever it is, yes, I will do exactly what you do. I will comply with what you're asking. But then ask them to help you learn and understand by explaining why they have made that particular demand. Now, don't be, don't be smart or sarcastic when you do this. Be humble about it and tell them that you just want to truly learn from them so that you might, in turn yourself, make wise decisions. I tell you what, you took that approach when you're really peeved off with something your parents have asked you to do or, or told you to do. You try that approach and it'll put a whole different spin on things. It'll help you understand the role of parents and it'll certainly help your parents with their imperfect parenting. Huh? Okay, the motivation for your obedience. I don't think anyone would say that we have never struggled with obeying our parents. But for those of us who are older can think back, man, I struggled heaps. I thought so many of my father and mother's commands were ridiculous. But that was just my rebellious heart. We love to flex our independent muscles, especially when parental demands have seemed completely unfair or biased somehow. So what do you do? What do you do in a situation like that? If you're under the authority of your parents in your home, what do you do? Do you rebel and be disobedient? You may think, after all, my way over their way, well, it'll only mean some kind of a reprimand or a grounding or, or, or some kind of immediate punishment at the very worst. That's all it'll mean. Young people, parents, take note of this. 
Disobedience may or may not result in immediate consequences, but it always carries with it built-in consequences, always. You see, the biblical axiom is very, very true. We reap what we sow. How you respond to your parents now will in some way or other be shaping your future. That's the principle of life. That's just the fact of life. So when you choose to rebel against your parents' demands, you're simply borrowing trouble for your future. You're failing to learn the freedom and joy found in hearing and obeying. But as we think about that, that's not the main motivation to obey, is it? It's not the main motivation for us to, for a child to obey. That reaping and sowing is just a principle of life. So why should we obey? It's quite simple. For this is well pleasing to the Lord. Very simple. It implies commendable or, or, or something favourable. We might simply say that God really likes this kind of obedience. The reason it is so commendable to God is because in order for you to follow faithfully the instruction of your parents, then you must trust in the Lord. It's really simple. In other words, you demonstrate trust in the Lord when you obey your parents. Grandparents here, parents who've got children who have grown up, need to keep these things in mind and pass them on, right? Young person, I wonder if you're having trouble obeying your parents, seeing eye to eye with what they tell us, tell you. Can I throw a suggestion here? If that is the case, if you're having trouble, maybe it's because you've never fully trusted in the Lord for forgiveness and salvation. Think about that. You see, in order to obey your parents willingly and joyfully with a desire to please the Lord, you first need to be saved. You first need to belong to the Lord. You need to become a Christian. You need to ask the Lord in faith to forgive your sin and so that you can turn from that sin and be a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Because until you do, you will never freely and willingly want to obey your parents in order to please the Lord. It just won't happen. There's no connection. You'll be your own person as young as you are and you'll cut your own path and go your own way and make your own choices and the Lord and his pleasure will be completely outside your box. Why is that? Because it's only on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ will you have the desire to please him through your obedience to your parents. Matter of fact, your desire to please the Lord will become greater even than a desire to please your parents. Now, a word to parents. We often forget in all the busyness of parenting that the Lord uses this role for our progressive sanctification. And as I said right at the beginning, this is his laboratory. It's another arena he uses for our sanctification. Parenting is not merely a task, although it, sometimes it feels like a real chore. 
It's a ministry that the Lord has given you to serve Him in and to grow in. Don't forget that. And because of that, we must heed biblical instructions on how to reflect the Lordship of Jesus Christ in being a mum and dad. The Bible is fully sufficient. Yes, even in parenting and even being a mum and dad and how to be the best mum and dad that you can be. But we need to know that this word here also can be, that can be translated parents as it is. We see the word father, we might get the idea that, okay, well, this is just direct, directed to the male, to dads. And so mums, we're out of it, you know, we're, we're, we're not in this picture. But no, the same word as father here is exactly the same word as in Hebrews 11:23, when where Moses are referred to. And they're the same word and it's parents, okay? And so there's a bit of a, it could be parents, it could be father, but I believe both of them are involved. But as we think about that, Paul, no doubt, would have had in mind as he was writing this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God the Roman law that was in control at the time. And the Roman law at that time deemed fathers as having complete power to treat and to do what he wished to his children and even slaves in his own home. He was king. He was the head of his home. Some of us were talking about this on Tuesday night at our Bible study. And so that's why often children were put into the same category as, as slaves were and when they came of age, then they were adopted into the family. They had it like a ceremony, not a bar mitzvah, that's Jewish, but it was a little bit like that. When they came of age, I don't know what age it was, it could be 12, there was no set age, um, but uh, the Gentile father under Roman law welcomed them in his family. He became then his rightful heir. Prior to that, he was just one of the household. Really, as far as rights go, he had no more than the slave. And the father had the absolute right to do that, to accept them in or not ever accept them in. And so no doubt Paul had this in mind. But whether it's parents or fathers here, we know that this instruction is more needed for the dads amongst us, right? Because we're the heads of the home, the scriptures tell us. And might I say, we seem to be a lot better at provoking our children than mums are. Maybe I'm letting out too home, any home truths from myself here, but dads love to wind our kids, their kids up and, um, in various ways. So here we have a case against provocation. The command itself is a direct and forceful, by the way. Simply this, don't provoke your kids. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. This word exasperate means provoke or irritate or to excite in a negative fashion that causes embitterment. James used to counsel me even when he was young. Dad, don't provoke your child to wrath. <laughs> See him grinning back there. Yeah, he still says it now and again. This is what it means. Way mouth. In his commentary, translator, do not fret or harass your children. J.B. Phillips, in his translation, says, don't overcorrect them. I love kids making mistakes. 
Sometimes I, it makes me cry when I see the result of them. But kids make mistakes, right? Just like us parents do. But I go back to what I said before. It's from mistakes that kids can learn. And that's what we as parents need to be there to pick up the pieces. But some parents will never allow their kids to make mistakes and hence they never learn. And parents, especially fathers, we can, we can really do this well. We can really overcorrect them. We can really harass them. We can really irritate them or excite them in a negative fashion that causes embitterment. We can be so zealous in our correction of their behaviour that our constant nagging not only bends their personality but it literally breaks their spirit. That can happen, folks. And under this exasperating nurture, they may, they may become this. They may become our carbon copies, yes. Yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, kind of person. They may become our carbon copies and they may even fulfil our fantasies, our aspirations that we have for them, but they are never allowed to be people in their own right. You may think, oh, what's this got to do with us? Yeah, that happens. I see this. Children can become dispirited upon hearing and being made feel of little value. Children who suffer this provocation actually end up, you know what they end up doing? They end up believing it themselves. This is why parenting is a very serious thing. It's something you need to study and not take lightly and evaluate what you're doing and what you're not doing. Even a good bit of psychology wouldn't go astray here. Asking how you can affect a child's thinking. Because you can. And so children who suffer this provocation, they not only end up believing it, they end up sinking into a, a pit of despair. And they react with boastful, outlandish and sinful choices very often. That's what happens. I don't get the idea that Paul here is counselling against exercising discipline. He's not. He's not counselling against, not telling us that you're not to correct your children. We're told in Proverbs 14, 24, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Another commentator, Rick Malek, explains, If correction were needed, it should have been toward the behaviour of the child not the child's personhood. And it should have been enforced quickly. Discipline was not to be prolonged so that nagging occurred. Discipline your kids, yes. I'm an advocate of discipline. When I talk about discipline, I'll say it brilliantly. Yes, the wooden spoon or whatever you use. Discipline your kids, yes, when necessary. But at the same time, let them see and know your love for them. Never hold a grudge against your kids. Never. I believe it's a good time when parents discipline their children to tell them when they're disciplining them why actually they are being disciplined. This smack, this whack is for what you did. Not because you're a horrible person all the time and you're getting on my nerves. Never, never, never that. Instead, he instructs parents, Paul instructs parents to carry out their duties with an attitude of, of um, 
not contempt or harshness that it would in no way stifle the child's personality. I like how N.T. Wright puts this in his commentary. He says this, the parent's duty is in effect to live out the gospel to the child. You hear that? To live out the gospel to the child. That is, to assure their children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might, if only they would try a little harder, become, end quote. We can exasperate our children. How can we exasperate our children? Lots of quotes here today, but these men are far better at putting things down than I am. John MacArthur here gives a lengthy treatment on, on ways that parents can exasperate their children. He says, parents can exasperate their children by overprotection. Talk to a little bit about that. By showing favoritism. Even have biblical examples of that when you go right to Genesis, right? <laughs> by depreciating their worth. You value your children and who they are. And they're not all cut out of the same cookie cutter either. Each child is different, right? We've had five of them and we, we know that. We've had sort of, yeah, every one of them different. And um, we can exasperate them by setting unrealistic goals. Unrealistic goals. I wanted my kids to be all farmers. Only one of them ended up being farmer. And he never went to be a farmer for a start. He went off to university and studied some medicine, laboratory medicine. But then he ended up being farmer. By setting unrealistic goals, by failing to show affection. Do you show affection to your kids? You need to. By not providing for their needs, by, having, not have, by a lack of standards in the home, you can, you can really exasperate them on that. You know, kids love standards. That's where they get their sense of security from. We were talking earlier on. You need it. By criticism, by neglect, by excessive discipline. Excessive discipline. It's in quote from MacArthur's commentary. And I'd like to add another one. Not that I'm saying MacArthur's missed this one out. But I'd like to add another one. Double standards. Not only by the dad who may be one thing in the home and another thing out. That can happen. But what about double standards where you have mum saying one thing and dad saying another? If you want to exasperate your children, that's a good way to start. Mum and dad need to be together. If they have the differences, work them out away from the children so that you can come to them with a clear standard in the home. It's so important that we check how we're influencing our children through our parenting. Our kids, you know, they may be saint-like saint -like in behaviour and um, out of fear upsetting us, but if there's no spirit in them, you know, we've failed in our training. If we whack the spirit out of them, wow, what have we got? You know, our goal must be far more than, than just getting our kids through their teens. It must be far more than that or away from drugs, or having a clear criminal record. Our goal has got to be far more than that. We must seek to do this. Ephesians 6.4, and you know this well, train up him up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There it is. Paul in this last part of this verse gives a clear reason why parents are, are not to exasperate their children. He says, so that they will not lose heart. The term lose heart here means to become spiritless or without courage. 
In other words, a positive spin on this would be like this. Parents are to go all out to promote in their children an appetite, a zest for life. That's all, that's all right to have a zest for life, you know. I love, love to see young people and kids full of energy and gung-ho and, and, and wanting to have a go at anything and everything, even though some of it may not be advisable. You know, I really get upset when I see children, young people, who go about their tasks in life in a listless, moody, sullen frame of mind. That's not how it should be. Because that's what to lose heart means here, folks. When I see this, I often ask, why is that kid, why is that teenager like that? Has there been too much water thrown on his or her fire? Or are they just rebellious children against their God-given parents? It can be one or the other, and it can be a mix of the two folks. May we be as parents or even as grandparents never be guilty of the former. But in obeying the word of God, may we bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let us not be slack or smart thinking that we are smart and rely on some softer or maybe a harsher self-made version for parenting. It just won't cut it. The word of God is all sufficient. Just in conclusion now, amidst the busyness and hard work of home life, let us make sure we look to the Lord Jesus to shape our lives, right? Even in our methods and in our interaction in the home between parents and children and children and parents. You know, it was once said, it was once said correctly, and I'll put this up on the screen, those who are being fitted for heaven and that's every one of us who are believers here today, those who are being fitted for heaven should sense a greater responsibility to show some of heaven in the home. How true that is, right? May we take these words and be encouraged to be better parents, children, and even grandparents in our homes. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, close We're going to close in prayer now. But what before I do... I want to give you a couple of moments just to think about what's been said. Maybe something struck a chord with your heart today. Maybe there's some repenting to do. Maybe there's some changing to do in your home, in your personal circumstances. I want to give you time to put that right before the Lord and challenge your own heart as to how you're going to deal with this in the future. I'll give you a couple of minutes and then I'll close in prayer. Before we pray, if there's any who would like help in this matter, you know, we have, we've got material that can be involved with parenting, raising kids. Maybe you've got issues even now. Feel free to come and talk to me after or one of the elders and, and, and we can endeavour to help you with that. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we 
thank you to see this morning that you are our God. And even the word our Father connotes to us a relationship that we are familiar with because all of us here have had fathers, all of us have had parents in different settings, some one, some dysfunctional, whatever that may be. But Lord, we just thank you for your redemption and for the heavenly Father that you are. We thank you that we can learn from the scriptures of not only how to bring up children, but for how children are to respond to their parents. And that's a message to not only children, but to parents themselves. And so we just thank you, Lord, for your word today. We pray that this week might be a week where we can evaluate how we interact with one another in a home and um, that we may not in any way exasperate our children, but that we might endeavour to bring them up in the fear and the admonition or the instruction of the Lord. Help those who are single here today, Lord, that in the future years in your will, they will one day be parents and so that they might be guided by not culture, but by your word. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We commit one another to you and the rest of this day to you. And uh, we just thank you for life, for our homes, and for so much that you have given for us to enjoy. We give thanks, blessing your name again, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.